All right, all right, all right. This is Potter Request, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Potter Request is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. With three techno experts, Eric Newman, hi! Chris Grabowski, hello! And Tyler Dinner, hey there! This week's episode, Looking Out My Back Door. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another Public Quest. My name is Eric Newman, and to the left of me is someone who's had a lot of fun this weekend, Chris Grabowski. Hi! How are you? I'm good. Uh, good. I spent most of the day at the gym, so... Uh, oh, feeling, GTL. Uh, well, if that T is uh, replaced with sleep, yeah. Well, then, then no. No, that would be GSL. Gym, gym sleep. sleep laundry, brah. Laundry. <laughs> anyway, Tyler, to the left of Chris, how are you doing today? I'm great. I, uh, yeah, got a lot done inside the house. Wrote some code. <laughs> nice. I did all my inside the house stuff yesterday instead of going outside and enjoying the beautiful fall weather that was actually fall weather. <laughs> uh, Christian just made me uh, realize some interesting irony. Great title, by the way. Great, great CCR song looking out my back door. Uh, oh, you blew but- it, Tyler. What? <clears throat> this week's episode is about encryption. So the title of it is looking. Oh, I didn't. You didn't blow it. Never mind. I already said it. Yeah, you already said it. And then Christian said giggity, and now he made a butt joke about it, and I've never connected it to that. But now <laughs> that makes me realize that it's even funnier when you realize that the chorus of the song is do do do. Oh wow! Oh my god! Jeez. Well, I don't. Uh, There's so many the audience layers actually in the show title. In, uh, hasn't come in yet, so I can't uh, say hi to them. But anyway, we'll um, whip them out. I, Sorry? <laughs> well, whip them out. Well, whip them out. Uh, no, I was well, actually... At the top of the show, and we're already at a third grade reading level. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh... Hold on one second. At least we're not swearing like Eric did last week. Or this like you true. do every week. Uh, <laughs> anyway. No. Uh, let's see. There's a lot of stuff to talk about today. Like, it was daylight savings time this, this morning, last night. Wait, it was? How many of you had to change any clocks? Guessing, uh, Christian, the answer is zero. What is this, oh, no, my stove. I'm, I'm looking at my... I just looked back at my stove. I have to change my stove. Ah, okay, so at 6 o'clock ah, at night, off. you just realized that your stove was an hour ahead. Yes. The stove and the microwave and the coffee pot were the only clocks I needed to, I needed to change. Tyler, Actually, my, my, you? my microwave adjusted. Really? I noticed my stove at one o'clock. I have a, uh, a Wi-Fi connected microwave. Of course can... you have a Wi-Fi microwave. And, and can you can you type in what's a microwave on your phone? Or does it tell you that you your stuff is done on your phone? No, but I have bash commands that I can send it. Really? So you can leave a yes. hot pocket in there in the morning and come back and then hit, hit oh, right before you totally, get in the door. I can totally set up a cron to do that. Just, <laughs> just like, so what, what uh, like leave it in, in can... the morning. And then at like 7.30 when I come home every day, just it'll go on, heat up my microwave pizzas, and I'll be good. <laughs> yeah. So are, are you saying that we can DDoS your microwave? No, because it's on a VPN, along with my security cameras. Along with your security cameras. How, how many security cameras do you have? Two. One in the bedroom, one in the main room. If we got, well, like, I don't think EMP the bedroom blast. one's for security. <laughs> you caught me. I'm pulling a Dennis Reynolds. <laughs> No, no, it, it literally points I'm sorry, at my window. I'm sorry, Christian, but that sound that you heard was our studio audience just <laughs> chiming in. Hello, everybody. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Wonderful. That's right. They also appreciate Christian's sex cameras along with the mirror on his ceiling. <laughs> he only has one sex camera. The other one's for security. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> no, it points at my window anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, That's not well, kinky. No, it's not. Um, 
Let's see. There's a lot of stuff. Have you heard that Donald Trump's Twitter account was shut down by a rogue employee who did this on their last day at Twitter? Yeah, and they yeah, considered my- giving the person a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <laughs> my company. What was that, my Christian? company talked about like at our, at lunch at work. We talked about it for an entire hour on Friday. Yeah, how do you how do you talk about this for an entire hour? It just happened. Uh, well, you, you say that it happened well, it happened this like past week, and so like we were saying, oh yeah, that happened, and then we went uh, went into like, so what if they did this, or what if they could have done that? Gotcha. Well, if yeah. you, here's a screenshot that has. A, a, a photo that a lot of people in America would love to see at real Donald Trump does not exist. Please have to retry. Hmm. Uh, there were some uh, movements to try to get him banned off Twitter because uh, he was vi- he, some say he was violating the acts of aggression thing on there. Whatever. Every day, every hour, there's someone trying to... If he, if he writes a syntax error, they'll be clamoring for impeachment. Well, you can't threaten someone with violence on Twitter. So if you do People it at a national it. level, you're still doing it. Are, you, are, you, are, are, we, are we talking about the uh, death penalty? For I can't the, threaten to beat you up on Twitter just like he, he theoretically can't threaten to beat up North Korea as an entire country. I don't think... Oh, you're talking about this. I don't think that uh, he said anything differently than Obama said. It was just on Twitter instead of in, on video. Which is what they're worried about, which is why they no, consider banning him on Twitter. No, come on, Tyler. That's just Michigan. Uh, <laughs> how about this? Uh, Christian, you might not like this one. Uh, a DNC official says she doesn't want to recruit cisgender straight white males. They want to build a new tech team that, that handles elections everywhere from, and they say this in their email, uh, everywhere from presidential down to dog catcher. And they prefer, I would personally prefer, this is uh, Madeline Leader, or so it says. Her name is Leader. She's the head at the DNC. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, uh, she included the following caveat. I would personally prefer that you do not forward to cisgender straight white males since they're already in the majority. Now, Christian, as our cisgender straight white male correspondent, how do you feel about that? Well, I like that I'm the only one, apparently. But did so you just assume you. my gender? Yeah. I assumed you identified as female. God. That's why I don't have a problem with this email, Christian. In future news, white cis males are fraudulently identifying with different genders and sexualities. <laughs> Today we are all females. Screw you, Madeline. Uh, that's, I mean, like, I was born this way. Let me, you know, talk about illegal electronic correspondence, Tyler. I actually think that this is illegal despite the clear majority that white cisgender straight males have. Cishet. Males, evil scum. Uh, the, the clear majority that they have in uh, most things, but in, especially in technology. But if, if this isn't an official email that's, con- that's stating an official policy position of the DNC, I believe that's illegal because you're not allowed to discriminate your hiring practices based off of race or gender or even age. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know other than they haven't learned their lesson from 2016, and that's... I mean, getting back to my opinion that you asked, uh, <laughs> yes, you, do, you do realize uh, <laughs> I hate the government probably the most out of the three of us. You don't want to be the... Uh, let's see. Let's look at their open positions. They've got a chief security officer. Do You don't, you don't want to be that? No, that's the guy whose head is on the chopping block. But Christian, you can make... No, think about the last chief security officer. He disappeared. With He made off with the money. He's gone. So... That's what you have to do. You do. Your job is to tell people no, suck down all the cash, and then when they say, oh, we messed up, you get out of there before the cops come. No, chief security officer is the, that one guy who was responsible at Equifax. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but he's probably, you know, 
high on an island in Panama right now. Off no, the coast of Panama. He got fired and no one's going to hire him. Yeah, but he, he'll be fine. Uh, okay, data science lead. Full stack engineer. IT help desk manager. Well, well they said full stack engineer, so you know this, whoever wrote this was non-technical. Oh, why? Because they're calling it engineers instead of developers? No, they said full stack. Instead of... That's a buzzword. <laughs> yeah? If you're not, how, how many interviews have you been on where you say you're full stack, Christian? Zero. Because you are back end. No. Okay. Uh, keep uh, going on. Product designer, product director, and product manager. Their product last year was Hillary. Uh, I, I do have a uh, coworker who he, he was on the data science team at the DNC during the election. This past election? Yep. And what, was, what did he think about them? He uh, respected them pretty highly. Okay. Uh, well, you know, uh, there was a person from the DNC, Donna Brazil, who came out and said that uh, it was rigged against a Bernie Sanders on the primaries. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that. Everybody knows that. And it's mm-hmm. so funny when they try, when Donald played the same game to Hillary in the presidential and she lost. Oh, karma's a bitch. Anyway, that's enough about politics. And if you've read what I've posted on Facebook, I'm even going to stop posting on politics there since all it does is drive my friends away. Um, back to technology. Google is apparently shipping some Pixel 2 XLs without an operating system. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, if you get a brand new phone, you turn it on, it'll say, cannot find valid operating system. The device will not start. Visit this link on another device, and they give you a Wait. hyperlink to a webpage. Is it, is it unlocked on a, uh, uh, is the bootloader unlocked at least? I, I don't know. Because that'd be really cool if it is. Christian, Why? calm down, you're drooling. <laughs> Why don't you get one? Get a Pixel 2 XL. Whoa, the dude in this picture kind of looks like me. Uh, well, the whole face oh, is Oh, yeah, missing, I can see that with the, the hair. The, the hair, and the yeah. 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 Maybe well, it was you. Is, no, it was not. He's got four fingers just like you do? No, he's using an NVIDIA <laughs> GPU. I'd never use that. Oh, I didn't even catch what you said. <laughs> I'll have you know I have five on each hand and they work for Hey, listen, well, I had a friend. There's no, no judgment here. I had a friend who had six fingers and he is a great person. His name I'm sure he's really good at guitar. Uh, you don't actually have dexterity in the sixth finger. Oh. Yeah, uh, so like, yeah. Christian, what operating system would you put on that? I would Ubuntu. put, uh, like, a, well, Ubuntu phone is not matching my favorite. I would probably put, like, one of the open source Android uh, uh, flavors. Like, like Paranoid Android or AOKP or Angry Unicorns. Paranoid like that. Android. Wow. You wouldn't want to go the, with the Samsung one like I have? What was no, that? I, I don't like slow operating systems. You don't like ones that are terrible and bloated and just have a ton of apps that get in the way of all the normal apps? And oh, that's right, Tyler. Thing. I mean, Christian, why don't you just put Windows on that phone? Because <laughs> I don't want a phone that doesn't work. <laughs> oh, so you're going to put on... I like using I like using Apple or iTunes on my Windows phone on my Google <laughs> My jailbroken Android phone that runs Windows Phone OS to run iTunes to sync with my Mac. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I imported my Pandora playlist there. <laughs> uh, last thing on the top is uh, NG5. Angular 5.0.0 is now available. Thank God. Well, it's not like... Yeah. The leap all, between all Angular to Angular... Or, sorry, the leap between <laughs> Angular 2 to Angular 4 was how many months? The fan will be very excited. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I know, I know one person who still uses Angular, and I guess he has to refactor all the stuff he refactored three months ago. Oh, his really? favorite. I heard that. I heard most people who use Angular just stay on Angular One. Like they still maintain a branch of Angular <laughs> wow. One. That's probably how you have these fifteen-year-old bugs that become major security holes and never. Yeah, get you should uh, talk to like uh, some of the older Red Hat guys who have to uh, support. Older you should talk versions to the people at Equifax. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, there's some cool stuff in Angular 5, and we would care if we used it, but we don't. Uh, there's a build optimizer, which I guess they're, they're trying to make like a webpack for Angular. Mm. Uh, Angular Universal State well, Transfer webpack API. Webpack works for Angular. Well, then I don't, I don't know why. They're trying to Next. just do more of the walled garden <laughs> stuff, I guess. Have more of a vertically integrated development system. Uh, ng-serve. There you go. Uh, preserve white space. Uh, improve decorator support. Anyway, just type an Angular 5.0 into Google and read the new stuff. Uh, moving on. Talked about all of that. How about New York has had a really tough week this week? Yep. It's been, I mean, I forgot. That's what I forgot to do. I didn't get, I forgot to get some, uh, I forgot to get some New York Minute theme music. I'm sorry. Ah. Uh, uh, boo. 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 Eric Newman. Boo. I'm sorry. Get, the, Eric, get sorry. the Don Henley Eagles one, by the way. What? Yes. It's really good. The, there's a Don Henley New York song? Yeah. The chorus says in a New York Minute, um, I think it was on his solo album, but the Eagles do it live. They did it live at the show I went to this summer. Incredible. Can we do the standard? In the, the city standard? would also work. Can we do the standard? That's always good. Oh, what about good. the Real Big Fish version? I was, you know, it wasn't on the list. Oh, wait, yeah, no, it wasn't on the list. should Hold always on. be on the list. That's a classic. That's, you know, you're right. That is a classic. <laughs> Even though they're from the wrong coast, where you were mm. from, Tyler. Uh, but, nah. There we go. could totally do uh, uh, In the City by the Eagles. No, this is fine. Uh, For those of you who aren't dogs or dolphins, Eric is singing in his falsetto. Start spreading the news. All right. Uh, so, yeah, with this nice uh, lounge music, uh, New York's had a pretty tough week. We had that terror attack on Halloween. And th- there's, this music does not <laughs> connote terror attack. Uh, what do we or, want to say about it? Did, it would be really campy. What was that? If it did, it'd be really campy. Yeah. Uh, at least eight people were killed on Tuesday in what New York officials are ca- calling a terror attack. Uh, this guy rented a Home Depot truck from Passaic, New Jersey, and he drove over it. Uh, he drove over the GW Bridge at 2:43. At 3:04, he drove. Uh, the suspect drove the truck onto the uh, bike path walkway on the lower. Uh, what is that? Because it's Lower Manhattan up by the Hudson River. And then he does something which I wish I could do, which is mow down a ton of cyclists. They're strong whoa, bike lights. No, whoa. I'm kidding. Too I'm soon. Kidding. Too soon. Fine. But, you know, the pedestrians and who died, I actually, my heart is out to them. Um, it's really sad. It is really sad. Uh, let's see. Farther down the path, the truck collided. The truck collided with the school bus at Chambers Street. After the collision, the driver exited the truck with a pellet gun and a paintball gun, both not real firearms. At 3.08 p.m., more than a dozen 911 calls came in, and then the rest is history. Driver of the truck was taken into custody, and uh, that's about it. That's, that's enough. Uh, he's been identified what? as Saifulo Habibuvayek Saipov, a 29-year-old Uzbek national who came to the U.S. in 2010. Uh, the law enforcement found a note near the truck claiming that the attack was carried out in the name of ISIS, a senior law enforcement official told to CNN. And uh, with regards to everybody saying, oh, we need a Muslim band, clearly we don't need a Muslim band. What we need is a Jersey band. Yes. That's going to clear guy, up a ton of traffic. Let's yeah, get rid of all guy, that. People yeah. from New Jersey. 
Unfortunately, Christian, uh, Long Islanders will probably be next. Nah. Come on. Come on! Come on! All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, there's no... Oh, they made a new law that says that you can't drink wine... You can't ship wine across state lines unless you're in one of the 14 states uh, that accepts interstate shipments of wine. New York is not one of them. So yeah, I wonder you, why. There's a whole bunch of giant wine emporiums that you can go online and just click and they'll ship to your door. In yeah, Jersey. but you know, I got a new hard drive the other day, as we were, or last week as we were talking about our hard drive discussion, and it came with a $100 voucher to uh, some wine website, but we can't go there anymore because it can't ship no to New York No wonder that State. hard drive doesn't work well. Because it's drunk. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Any tech company that doesn't ship beer, you know, is not a good tech company. You know, I, I prefer wine to beer. Uh, moving on, uh, let's see. Christian, you'll, ha- you'll also have something to say about this. Uh, employees of uh, New York local news agencies, DNA Info and Gothamist, have voted to unionize, and then their CEO wants to close the doors. Or close the doors. Not wants to. He did. Good. Good? Unions don't do anything for they wanted to. They wanted to join the Writers Guild of America, much like other... I don't know if people who work for the Times are in Writers Guild. They're not. Well, well, then they stepped, they made, they stepped too far. But, of course, it's a very standard kind of anti-union response of, you know, it prevents us from making money, we have to make a lot of money, we're not being that profitable, so all of you lose your jobs. Uh, unions ruin capitalism, and as long as we have a capitalist government, or, sorry, market, not government... That uh, then it just isn't feasible. You see what the, the problem do to public transit, to construction, to your everyday uh, housing construction like plumbers. You get no work done, and the employees get to get paid for doing nothing. The problem, though, is that it bets it, it's that is one end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, capitalism is very much like the game of Monopoly, or Monopoly is very much the game of capitalism. And we're at the stage of Monopoly where one guy owns the whole side of the board. And so you need some kind of these socialist utilities to pull back from the evils of pure capitalism. I'm sorry. Christian, you, you know comp- me. I own a business. Competition. No, no. You know me. I own a business. I love capitalism. I love capitalism. Like, I'm not one of these commie, pinko, whatever. But so if you had to make a company, your employees could unionize? No. It depends on the industry. <laughs> so... It depends Next. on the industry, and it depends <laughs> yeah, on the dynamics it, of the time. It, no. Right. It depends on the context. Next. <laughs> Depends on the context. Next. My, my one-person company can't unionize. Next. NYPD. NYPD. Next. We'll save that for an after I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna use this story for you later, Christian. Group uses large pumpkin to attack woman in Brooklyn. A group of 13 people assaulted a woman this past Halloween weekend in Brooklyn, putting a box on her head and throwing a pumpkin at her, according to the city police. It happened on October 28th, not Halloween, around 8.15pm on the corner of State and Hendry Streets in Brooklyn Heights. Police said 13 men and women approached a 21-year-old woman and threw an unknown liquid in her face before putting the box on her. The victim was not taken to the hospital. So some lady got punked? Some, with a pumpkin. They got pumped. Pumped. They threw some schnapps in her face, threw a pumpkin at her, put a box in her head. I I don't know. I don't know. That actually sounds pretty brutal. Yeah, it's not fun. Don't, yeah, don't it sounds do like a mean. Especially if it was like a ripe pumpkin, people. that's going to really. Oh, no, no, no. You want an unripe pumpkin because that's not even going to squish when you hit their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't hit people. Uh, all right. Well, since it's Sunday night, Christian, it's time for our GitHub Issues of the Week. Our first GitHub issue of the week comes to us from our favorite JavaScript framework library. Call it what you will React. No, it's Angular. I... Funny. 
<laughs> cannot render an iterable function if it's an array of children. Wrong. It's. Uh, what's what's going on, Christian? Well, so they have an iter- a function that returns an iterator. Okay, and... that you can use in like for of, right? And all their iterable no, like you're properties. Do, like you're doing like a generator or something. Right. What I'm saying, like you can use iterator iterators in iteratable methods like for of and. Um... Yeah. Okay. I see. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then when they go to uh, template it into uh, a React uh, component, it's not uh, rendering properly. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, they're but, building this iterator outside of React. Yeah, function. it's an iterator of items, though, that need to be rendered inside of uh, a React component. It's a perfectly valid use. So they is did it, though? Because this isn't inside of is. a React component. Well, it, very... I mean, there's there's nothing saying you have to have it inside of one. True. Okay. So uh, they they do have a solution too. It's a uh, uh, a bad type of comparison where it's looking for the type uh, the iterator to be type of object, and iterator will actually return uh, an iterator type of depending on the version of JavaScript you're using. Gotcha. And you know what? This might be one of the uh, few GitHub issues that we've come across that actually have a real solution. Mm-hmm. All right, and I think that's it. Nice and tidy, yeah? Yep. Moving on, it's time for our next GitHub Issue of the Week. Our next GitHub Issue of the Week also comes to us from Facebook, RocksDB. Uh, RocksDB is an embedded embedded LSM tree-based key value store developed by Facebook that takes the design of Google's level? Yes, level DB. Level DB. And what's the problem? Uh, so, uh, this is actually originally reported in the Rust wrapper for RocksDB. And in there, uh, when they call, uh, the RocksDB internal key comparator, compare, uh, method, it'll, uh, the, uh, database will panic. And so the actual issue is within, uh, a, uh, at least where the user thinks it is, is in this perf counter ad where it's actually tracking performance. The issue actually is it's a bit of a race condition that uh, uh, the Rust uh, runtime will just not simply allow because it's coming from the C++ one. But C++, it's okay. Being that this is a metrics thing, it's okay for C++ in the C++ world to be like, oh, it's a race condition. That's cool. I don't really care. But in Rust, it does care. So it'll uh, panic. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what is the solution? Do we have a solution? So there's uh, one I suggested, which uh, would be uh, 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 recompiling the Rux, uh DB shared object with performance tracking off. So that way you don't call that perf um, function. Oh, I see. Uh, here's a question, Christian. When, would you ever uh, comment these solutions that you come up with on GitHub and then say, and here, listen to more GitHub issues at pullrequest.net slash iTunes? No. Why? That's, that's some <laughs> guerrilla marketing for the show. Come on. No, uh, that's against uh, GitHub Terms of Service, particularly in uh, certain repos that'll uh, have guidelines to contributions. Uh, you can't there's solicit. Gotta be, there's got to be a way to make that work. You can't solicit. Okay, moving on to a library that I don't know what it does, but sounds cool to say. Traffic! Traffic is a service mesh and reverse proxy popular in the container? Ecosystem. You're leaving out words here, Christian. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are twice. All right. Yeah. <laughs> What's the problem with traffic? Traffic. So, traffic. Turns... Yeah, you gotta say it the South Park way. Traffic. Traffic. 
Dick Bedurb. Uh, Trafic turns a 302 found response into a 200 OK for HTTP2 clients Ooh. when using compression. And so it's tracked down to a dependency known as Oxy, which is a bit of like a middleware library in Go for doing proxies. And it actually, uh, uh, the way it'll actually decode the HTTP headers for HTTP2 is making it think, oh, this is something that's, uh, being that it exists, it'll be a 200 okay. When if it's a 302 found, that just means like, hey, this exists, and you're not getting anything back, and it's not even a response. It's like, hey, you got to go say, okay, I go to the, follow that link. That's interesting. I thought 302s were temporary redirects. No, you're thinking about 301. Uh, I thought 301 was a permanent redirect. 302 found is looking up the redirect link and saying that it does exist. Huh. So you would use it with a redirect, though? Yes. Gotcha. Um, Hold on one second. And, all right, and do we have a solution? Just fix Oxy's dependency? Yep. Well, in Oxy, the way it's parsing the HTTP2 header. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, I'm sure they'll fix that. Uh, all right. Moving on to our last... Ah! GitHub Issue of the Week. Our last GitHub Issue of the Week comes to us from Bitcoin. Okay. Potential stale tip detected when deliberately not connected to peers. Christian, what is this? Well, it's just the tip, but... (laughs) (laughs) That means two things. I got it! Uh, so, uh, uh, basically, uh, when your, uh, Bitcoin miner isn't, uh, using, uh, the network, it'll, uh, this is within the particular issue. It's not using, it's network not enabled. So it looks like, oh, I don't have any connections. Uh, my state is completely out out of, uh, uh, state. And if I look for a new peers, I need to, uh, basically, uh, say, okay, I need all the new data. I need a full new state. And it's just saying that this is proper behavior because you aren't connected to the network, so you're not getting any updates. Huh. But uh, if you were to enable your network layer afterwards, you would be, in fact, in this stale tip. Gotcha. Uh, so there, so you can just make a command line Bitcoin miner, can't you, with this, this Bitcoin library? It's a daemon. Daemon. What does it do? Matt I didn't know, I didn't know they were on this, this, this is the Bitcoin miner that everybody runs. <laughs> that everybody runs? If you're oh. doing a Bitcoin miner, this is the miner. This is the miner. Oh. Bitcoin is an experimental digital currency. Oh, we know this. Uh, I was clicking on the, the GitHub uh, for them. Okay. So you said it was correct behavior. And mm-hmm. uh, anything else? No, not particularly. They, they're going to change the log statement to make it a little more clear. But other than that. Cool. Well, after our GitHub issues, it's always time for Tyler's Plus Ones. All right. Our pull request Plus Ones are where we send out well wishes and acknowledgments of awesomeness to people and other organizations. Who's our first Plus One this week, Tyler? The people, the cord cutters. Cord cutters. <laughs> Which I accidentally spelled like the music cord. <laughs> um... One million people last month cut cords from cable TV and big companies. Wow. Uh, that's great, yeah, because for a long time they've had a stranglehold. Our whole lives, all we've known is a few cable companies have an old stranglehold on the media that we're able to get access to on TV. And now that people are challenging that and backfiring, uh, they have to fight hard to actually provide good service to keep people from cord cutting. 
huh? Well, I thought oh, that a lot it's of... it's going to be really convenient for you. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought that a lot of uh, cable companies were redoing their models so they would put more of the more of the uh, cost on the internet connection instead of the cable package because of this. Interesting. That might, might also be the case, especially since YouTube and Hulu are both now doing live TV streaming. Yeah, no, it'll be it's very interesting because you really can just watch TV. I mean, you can watch real TV now on the internet. Uh, yeah, I've got Sling, and it works like a charm. Well, no, not like Sling, because that is just like remoting into someone's real TV connection. I meant no, it's not. Oh, really? I thought <laughs> that's what a, a Sling box was. No, it no, it's not that. Sling box. It's actually oh, like a service it's that provides. TV service. Yes, these, uh, it, it uh, goes to certain uh, uh, TV uh, channels. It gets them to sign on, and they get a direct stream over the internet of that same stuff you get streamed over cable normally. Can they target you with local commercials? Uh, I mean, I get commercials, but definitely, like... Local singles in your area. No, nothing like that. No. I get, I get like, whatever the, the, like, just the TV channel commercials. Gotcha. Um, all right, moving on. What's your next plus one, Tyler? Uh, number two goes to students at Cal. Under the formation botcheck.me, they've made a tool to uh, identify fake Twitter accounts. So uh, Cal, when you say Cal, you mean UC Berkeley? UC Berkeley, I'm sorry. I'm okay, from but there, the rest so. of us aren't from California. Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, so, so, okay, so, the, so UC Berkeley students developed a way to expose Twitter bots. Yep. Uh, great step, obviously, uh, on Friday... Most of us heard about the the Russian uh, bot that was uncovered. That was a really big conservative Twitter bot. Um, it was hilarious. At yeah. Tennessee Republicans. <laughs> yeah. No, there was a different one. Oh. On Friday. Oh, really? Okay. Another big one. Uh, anyway, uh, this this will go and detect it. Uh, I think it uses computer learning to figure out the best bots, and so it will be able to continue uh, staying on on trend with what the bots are doing when they start to change their game. It should learn quickly. So good job, them. Cool. Uh, well, it says that I have to log into Twitter to use their bot check. It's at botcheck.me. And yep. uh, should I do it? Let's no. Last no. time, okay. you Moving might have lost your ability to sue Equifax. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what uh, this one will bring? Uh, number three goes to the Paradise Papers. The news just came out about this today, so we really have no idea what uh, if it's going to be as big as the Panama Papers, but uh, it's basically from the same people that did the Panama Papers and seems to be in a similar vein of uncovering dirty rich people money habits. And, and are any major politicians and, uh, named in those uh, papers? Yeah. Close links to the Queen and uh, apparently some other people in the White House are involved as well. Ooh. Scandal okay. is afoot. Watch your news out for that. And that is our plus ones of the week. Yeah. And I got it to auto loop. <laughs> Even though nice. there was that break. A very obvious break at the end, but uh, Paradise Papers leak reveals secrets of the world elite's hidden wealth. Uh, millions of pounds from the Queen's private estate have been invested in the Cayman Islands fund. That makes sense. Uh, a previously unknown four hundred fifty million dollar offshore trust has sheltered the wealth of Lord Ashcroft. Um, yeah. Anyway, a lot of stuff. Shady. Yeah. Uh, uh, one thing that I did want to mention before we really 
before we really get into things, is that uh, the people that we steal a lot of, a lot of music from, uh, I mean, license a lot of music from, Wolfpack, are coming out with a new album this week, or this, ne- this coming week. And uh, I, I, as, as you know, we have these uh, post-roll ads for them at the ends of all of our shows. They do the scene music. And I think it's only right for us to say that all of you, including us, should buy their new album that comes out. So hopefully they won't sue us or me when they find out that we're using their music on our podcast. What does buy an album mean? Uh, <laughs> go to iTunes and hit buy album. Well, it's iTunes. Yeah, whoa. I don't know. What's, what's cool about this album, it's called Mr. Finish Line, is that they've released singles from it over the last few months, and so there's a chance that when the album comes out, you'll have heard it already. I like what I'm hearing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, let's see. All right, we've got our ransomware update, which has no theme music. Well, should we get theme music for these, or do you think that would be like... Nah, that's overkill. Too annoying. I like theme uh, music. Uh, let's see. This is... New phishing campaign uses 30-year-old Microsoft mess as bait. Hmm. Uh, it's called Locky. And uh, there's a vec- uh, the vector in the Word documents uses the Microsoft Dynamic Data Exchange, a feature that lets the Office application load data from another Office file. This kind of attack the last week was spotted in a phishing campaign launched at Freddie Mac. Was that Freshwater? Was that a, was that a joke? Yes. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> um, Duncan outlines the attack approach in this flowchart. Mouse spam, I don't know what that is, from this botnet. Word attachment using the dynamic data exchange attack. First stage malware. Check-in traffic. Traffic. Second stage malware is the locky binary. The phishing messages carrying this attack come from the Nikurs botnet, he writes, along with other DDE attacks, dynamic data exchange. Uh, The aim is to convince users to okay through the security warnings. A fake invoice is the scammer's preferred weapon. If the attack cons the victim, the poison document fetches a downloader, which in turn pulls a copy of Locky to decrypt the target. Uh, once the ransomware is launched and it's encrypted, victims, and it's encrypted the victim's hard drive, uh, Locky is deleted and a demand for one quarter of a Bitcoin is issued. That should tell you how, how much Bitcoin is worth when they only want a quarter of one. Uh, moving on, our big exploit of the week... Uh, hard drive Comes- LED allows data theft from air-gapped so, PCs. I feel like this should be noted. This is nowhere near news. It was in research two years ago, and it was a topic of discussion at many conferences back in January. So, curious why you picked this, Eric. <laughs> because I haven't heard it before, and if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Why don't you tell us about it, Christian? Sure. Basically, uh, the hard, hard drive LED shows active reads and writes, and which no, no, can- mod- I mean, what computer has a hard drive LED anymore? Ones Every that you single build. one of them. My laptop doesn't. It does. It just doesn't show it often. Where is it? You ever notice the sleep uh, button on the side? On the side? There's a power button. Yes. Right. That puts okay. it to sleep. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Is, that's not a hard disk activity indicator. Sure. But the big issue with these anyway are actually uh, from air-gapped PCs, as in ones in enclosed data centers that aren't connected to the internet. And the way you can do it is you use a slow-motion camera to capture the LED blink, 
and you can actually figure out the ones and zeros. And then? Then you can translate that into the data that's being written and read from disk. So when you get a bunch of binary, and it's mm -hmm. just like, here it is, here's your blob of ones and zeros, how do you actually turn that into something usable? The same way that the computer reads it, you can actually well, do it Well, the computer is processing it within a routine. The, fir the, first, you see, the first set of bits will tell you the file system type. The, the second uh, set of bits will show you the... The second set of bits, or bytes, I should say, are the, is the partition table. Then you got the whole boot partition. Then you got the actual, uh, uh, like, usable uh, partition to write to. And from there, you can actually figure out what's in those. Because the way uh, binary works is you have uh, the, the header uh, bits that tell you what the next bit, bit of binary is going to be. Cool. Yep. I think that's a cool exploit. Uh, An ancient one, but yeah. Moving on. Just closing some tabs here. Uh, there's another Bitcoin fork, and there are uh, post, what is it, post hard fork replay attacks that are, re that are attacking your uh, Bitcoin wallet. And uh, there's another, there's another cryptocurrency fork called, it was like Seg2, where is it, uh, Segwit2x. And that would change the blocks in the blockchain passed regularly around the Bitcoin network uh, from one megabyte to two megabytes, which would increase the scalability problem because the blocks can only be so big, so the transaction history can only be so long. So this fixes that by allowing more space, but then it creates a hard fork, which means that it's not backwards compatible, right? Does that sound right, Christian? I, I, I guess... I don't know. It's a dead horse. I haven't been paying attention to Bitcoin. We did two episodes on, on cryptocurrency. Yeah, we did. Did you listen to those while you were what? listening to us on the show doing them? We talked about hard forks and soft forks and what the difference yeah. is. And the... Yeah, I did. You did. Then it became then, a dead okay. horse. What? Then it became a dead horse. It's not. A, we, we talk about this every week. It's blossoming, Christian. You want me to curse again on the show? Come on. Uh, <laughs> people with malicious intentions may, take to t may, may attempt to take advantage of unsuspecting users who's, who use wallets without replay protection. Those actors can take a group of, if not all, transactions and replay them on the other side of the chain because it's a hard fork. In this case, this would mean that you would not only send the point three. this is an example, BT1 to the exchange, but also an equivalent of point three BT2. So there's Bitcoin 1 network and Bitcoin 2 network. This is called a replay attack. If you were outraged, rightly so, you could have kept point three BTC and use it. Uh, when, you, when you pay, let's see, I highlighted too much. <laughs> uh... When you pay with Bitcoin, a person with malicious intention could attempt to take your Bitcoin transaction and replay it on the older Bitcoin blockchain. In this case, you will not only send your new Bitcoin fork to the recipient, but also the old one. This is a lot more money than what you agreed upon. So the only way to, uh, to solve this is you have to use a wallet that supports replay protection. And that's Good it. Good to know. And, if, and this is not an ad, but if you go to btc.com, the wallets that they offer do. Let's try it out. Or, like Christian, don't care. Uh, moving on. Theresa May has not tried to murder anyone this week. So we can spare her. Or any internets. Or any internets. Um, but Facebook, we've had two, two stories on Facebook so far. Uh, here's one more. 
They are trying, and this they're they're beta testing, uh, limiting posts from Facebook pages on your newsfeed to only those that have paid for placement. Let's hear it from our news department. No money on presents. News to you. The internet. Most content publishers looking for ways to market and proliferate their material turn to social media for increased visibility. Facebook, the de facto king of social media, has become a fundamental tool in the online marketer's belt. However, these days may be nearing their end as Facebook lusts for new streams of revenue looking for ways to increase monetization on their platform. As such, they've prevented all non-promoted or free posts from being seen on your newsfeed unless you pay the fiber. Luckily for most of us, they're only testing this on three flyover countries most of you can't even find on a map. Slovakia, Serbia, and Sri Lanka. Not surprisingly, many digital publishers saw activity and engagement of their users crash, some losing 60 to 80% of traffic overnight. Facebook, of course, has tried to spin this in a positive light, reminding users that they're a private company no different from Chase Manhattan or the Federal Reserve. And so many Americans are afraid of what happens next. We at least know the world still turns and the truth marches on. And that's why this has been News to You. Brought to you by Pneumonia. Yay. Yeah, so Facebook thrived because of the open internet with democratized web pages, and now they're creating, they've created a nice walled garden where they will only allow uh, pay for play. I can't wait. I can't wait till there's like a uh, Facebook Plus and you have to pay like $5 a month to not have ads on it. They're not going to do that, but they are going to make it harder for the people like us that can't afford to invest a ton of money in Facebook ad placement. But luckily, they have, after this test and the backlash from these three countries, they've decided to not move forward with the testing. Sweet. Yeah. I think so. I think so. All right. Let's take a break as I take a drink of water. What's a, what's a, why don't you talk about something for like 10 seconds? <laughs> um, All right. I had something interesting this week come up that really bothered me. Um, it's pretty simple. All right, well, thanks, Tyler. That's enough. All right, moving on. <laughs> what, what was that? What really bothered uh, you? Uh, pretty simple JavaScript. I'm, I'm making a library that generates elements and, uh, and writing tests for that. And so I'm making it this drop-down element, select and options. And, uh, you know, when, when you as a user go and, and select a different uh, option on it, it will, it will update the attribute with the, the, the element attribute with the selected attribute. Okay. And, and there's a JavaScript way to change it by just saying, you know, selecting the, the element and saying this dot selected equals true or false, which is great. But when you do it that way, it does not change the actual selected attribute. Because you're changing a property of the element and not an attribute of the element. Yeah. And they don't link up together and magically But you know what you together. could do is you could huh. say dot set attribute and then selected and then the value that you wanted. And that would yeah, fix it. Yeah, that's, that's what I had to do for sure. But it was, uh, it was just a little frustrating to, to see that things didn't work that way, especially because JavaScript has so many custom like object-like things or array-like right. objects that have a little magic built into them. And I feel like if there's so much magic built in and that glue is supposed to work, then that should work that way. It's exactly the same as setting a, uh, an input field to checked or not. If the checkbox is ticked. Same business. Know, it's the same thing because if, if you do dot checked 
or you know dots whatever yeah i think it's just dot checked equals true that's not actually going to work you have to set the attribute and set the property and yeah. uh jquery automatically does both of them if you use jquery but because it's 2017 you're probably not yep uh, all right I made writing my test really hard <laughs> gotcha well let, you know what let's take a small break and remind people about one of the beautiful products from pneumonium say friends do you live in new york city well, if you do, Pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you. It's called Where Am I? Your five-borough compass navigator to help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereami.nyc and enable location services on your mobile device to find the closest neighborhood borough and free subway stops you wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, just geospatial brilliance. That's Where Am I? Brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium reinventing media data. By the way, it's November 5th. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Oh, and do you have your mask, bro? I do. Then my pollution mask. Oh, no, you meant my V for vagina mask. Uh, v for vendetta mask, excuse Ooh, me. Um, almost swore. Anyway, that's not a swear word. Whoa. Whoa Context-wise. Okay. Anyway, uh, I might have just been going to a feminist protest later. On November 5th. Before, anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, just, it's one of those words. In the context, it depends on how you use it. Sometimes you can use it on TV and sometimes you can't. Gotcha. Well, there was someone that named their kid Vagina. That's just stupid. That's the real. That's, that's, that's a true fact. The true fact. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, what was I saying? Oh, that we've almost been doing the show for a whole year. Oh, God, what have I been doing in my life? I, that's why you have gray hair now, Christian, in your 20s. <laughs> I've got like twenty gray hairs. Actually, it's one for every episode. Um, yeah, no, I've just been thinking about that. November twentieth was our first show, and we'll save all the Michigas and the the gooey stuff for then for but, the party. Uh, yeah, yeah, that you know that'd be a good after dark episode anniversary, anniversary party show. episode. Hm. Yeah, that's in two weeks. Anyway, uh, moving on. This week's episode is about encryption. He's doing That's right, the technology that's central to everyday life. Just got home from Illinois, locked the front door. Okay, I'm not, not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I will keep the song going, though. Uh, this week's episode is about encryption, the technology that all of us use day to day that is, at this point, applied transparently to the point where we're not even noticing, hence transparent, we're not even really noticing that it's being used. Uh, anytime you go to HTTPS, anytime you use something like File Vault, or anytime you really interact with any well, electronic banking or financial so service, the users you're don't using, realize hold on, it's being you're used. using a type of encryption. Now, yeah, the users don't realize it, but you got all the developers who realize it. That's true, but when encryption works, you should not know that it's there. It should just be some kind of transport layer security. That's not true at all. No? No, if you're, if you're trying to uh, send an encrypted file, you have to know it's there. It's no, just... but my point is that it's the fa- it's the fact I I get I, I guess okay. But I, I was, like I was trying farm. to put it into a like, I've to... got <laughs> right, but uh, so I've got this uh, really awesome tool that we just I just set up at work that uh, called the Slack Cat, which that's just there to uh, basically ca- uh, cat a file from takes a file from standard in and posts it to uh, Slack through chat. But we're using that in com- combination with PGP to encrypt all of our files now. Gotcha. Well, I mean, what I meant by transparently, I meant that if it's set up, like, when you log in 
to a remote server with uh, key-based authentication, mm -hmm. that's very, after the setup, that's very transparent. You know what I mean? No, not if you're using like FWNOP and Mosh. What? You can use like FWNOP to do a port knock, and then you mosh in or something like that, and okay. that's very not All right, I'm, I'm fine. You know what? We Is don't any have of that sexual? I'm, I'm reaching for something that we don't have, that I don't have. Uh, so what is, what, Christian, what is encryption at the most basic level? It is a mathematical function that will take a, uh, a set of uh, bits and uh, modify them such that uh, only based on a certain key can you re reorder those bits in a way that will actually be the original uh, set. Right. And you mentioned something. The key word in your whole spiel was math. Encryption is math. Or maths, if you're British. But you can't, much like you can't prove that calculus shouldn't be used anymore. Encryption, well, whatever, I'm also reaching I can for prove something. calculus has to be used every day. Well, encryption has to be used every day at this point. I yeah. mean, all the way that banks communicate with each other, the way the governments communicate with each other, the way that media organizations communicate with each other has to be encrypted for, because of tra tra uh, trade secrets and electronic communication. There's no other way to achieve that type of security other than with encryption. There are yep. things that are like encryption that aren't, like obfuscation, mm -hmm. where if you look at like some uglified JavaScript code that's gone through obfuscation, uh, so you, the finished product doesn't look anything like the original. What happened there? Uh, anyway, uh, the finished product doesn't look anything like the original, but that uses a security through obscurity practice, which really is not that secure. There are three types of, or more than three types of encryption, and the strength, would you say, Christian, of, of this encryption, of this encryption, uh, <laughs> depends on the size of your private key, or the key that's uh, being used. So, in certain cases, yes, in certain cases, no. What would be a, uh, a case so of no? The whole thing is about, it, the, what your, the actual thing is, uh, is high entropy. Is what you want. So, a high variance between numbers on the, or, or characters in your key. No, no. The, the higher number of possibilities for the uh, oh. for, uh, that things can produce. So how can so, you have a low? I mean, I can understand about differing levels of security for different key sizes when compared across different encryption algorithms. But where would it? Where would you not need? Uh, what, where? I'm sorry. Where would the proportionality between a key size and the security not exist in an encryption algorithm? So, so you're saying when the I said, key is doesn't not large? Because I said, does usually mean mm -hmm. that the longer the key, the stronger the uh, encryption is, typically, and you said yes in, and no. So where is cases, that yes, lack of proportionality? So an elliptic uh, encryption, which is a term that was probably a buzzword that you just threw at me this morning that I got to read up on. It has its own Wikipedia article. It's a real thing. People have been talking about it for a decade. It's fine. Uh, yeah. No, but I'm just saying... Elliptic curve like, cryptography, uh, if you actually read the I... article, says that it still needs a large key size, but the key size is in elliptic curve cryptography, and we weren't supposed to talk about this until later. Uh, right. Don't but have to be as large is because as the key sizes in other that... cryptographic algorithms. However, the proportionality between key sizes and security is still there. Because it's a logarithmic function, the entropy is naturally higher, so you can use a smaller number. But point. I'm talking about the proportionality between key length and security. That would still hold true in elliptic curve, you just don't need as long as the key compared to other cryptographic algorithms. 
Yes. So if it's in a specific, if it's a, this one specific algorithm, that statement is valid. But you said, stated it in such a way that you meant across all encryption, so multiple algorithms. No, no, no. In which case, but, but, it no, no. is invalid. The point is that in elliptic curve crypto, the key size is still proportional to the level of security. You just don't need as big of a yes, key size. Yes, but that wasn't your original statement. Well, that's what I meant. Next. All right. Well, we ha- well, I mean, okay. We I said the order here. <laughs> we blew the order. Uh, encryption relies on uh, a principle of uh, factorization of prime numbers. And the idea is that w- that factoring may be somewhat easy by hand, but it's really hard to do on a computer. And if you're, and if you're trying to factor the product of two prime numbers, as those prime numbers get increasingly large, it becomes increasingly hard for computers to figure out what those original prime numbers were. And this is only true of pu- uh, public key-based encryption, though. Really? Yes. I guess it's not true with encrypted uh, elliptic curve. No, right. elliptic as well. Oh, then what is? Where is it not? Well, t- say you're doing something like a, 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 a like just a, a hashing thing for like, such a thing as a consistent hash, and you're using CRC. In that case, it's not necessarily a prime number; it's just a constant. Okay, so we can say integer factorization instead of prime factorization. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it also relies on, when you select those numbers, it also relies on randomness. But true randomness is actually really hard to create, so a lot of times we use pseudo-random number generators. What is that? So that is a random number generator that isn't actually a random number generator, because like an, an actual random number generator is a hardware thing that actually uses physics for to introduce the randomization. Right, entropy but and other th- other things. In a software-based uh, one, it is not truly random so much as it is uh, pick a. Uh, it tries to pick at random from a finite set. And how big is the set? Uh, Wouldn't it, you like to know? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tyler. I, need, I needed that. <laughs> Two things. Anyway, um, okay. And so most encryption that's done when they generate random numbers, are they truly random or are they pseudo-random? It depends on your setup. If you don't have a hardware, or I guess if you don't have a hardware thing. Well, you know, actually, there are encryption algorithms that are baked into modern uh, laptops these days. I know that my uh, MacBook has hardware AES. Does that actually have a hardware random number generator? Most computers have a hardware random number generator these days. It's just a hard. It's doing hardware encryption in that case. Okay, so then it doesn't use up the CPU to encrypt. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if you go to a website, uh, grc.com/passwords uses uh, it's Steve Gibson's GRC's ultra high security password generator. It creates a lot of these pseudo random passwords and talks about randomness. And these are pseudo random, right? Other forms of pseudo-random also, I think mm-hmm. they use date times and they use user input sometimes, like move your finger yep. on the trackpad. Yep. Yep. And versions of things and stuff. Um, all right. There are many different types of, t- of cryptography generally. Uh, we had uh, talked about elliptic curve cryptography really, uh, really briefly. And uh, do you want to go back to that or do you want to just talk about that really quickly right now? Hey, I think we're in pretty good detail on that one. Alrighty. Uh, elliptic curve cryptography is an approach to, to uh, based on the algebraic structure of elliptic curves over finite fields. I don't really know what that means. I get, oh, I, think I, it's I, I get, you have an ellipsis. You have an ellipse. Sorry, you, it has a curve, and mm-hmm. what, yeah, I can see it, visualize it on a graph. 
What does that actually mean? Basically, by using a, logarith- a logarithmic uh, function, you, you increase the possible set uh, of uh, n- numbers for keys. And uh, with that, you pick one out of the set that is the actual key. And this way, it, it, you end up actually being able to... Uh, it, it's still like you need a public key and a private key. But <clears throat> you can also use this uh, in such a way that uh, you can... Uh, basically, uh, brute forcing, like... You take something like RSA, for instance. Uh, that that it has a very uh, very large set based on the size of the key, and only by the size of the key. So that way, uh, something like RSA relies on uh, the algorithmic uh, complexity being uh, rather large to brute force your way to getting the right key. So it takes forever. While this, it, uh, it's basically the same thing, but it's much much more uh, algorithmically complex to actually brute force your way to the key. Huh. The elliptic curve discrete logarithm problem, the ECDLP. Security depends on the ability to compute a giant multiplication and the ability to comp- an inability to compute the multiplicand given the original and product points, which is what we talked about, about integer factorization. The size of the elliptic curve determines the difficulty of the problem. And we mentioned about difference in key size. A 256-bit elliptic curve public key cryptography should provide comparable security as 3072-bit RSA. And we'll talk about RSA in just a second. That's pretty good. A 256-bit key has the same security as a 3072-bit key, just with a different algorithm? Yep. It's pretty good. Huh, Uh, cool. Yeah, uh, a lot of things about cryptography r- rely on a, uh, a, a math, a, a construct in computer science or, or mathematics called P versus NP. Uh, and the idea is that P doesn't equal NP. And I don't know much more about that. What is an, a P problem versus an NP problem? So P is polynomial time uh, complexity versus non-polynomial time complexity. And this is not something to having to actually do with encryption, which bugs me severely actually that this is in this episode but but anyway anyway excuse me if it, p equals np then encryption is moot so we should talk about it cryptography no, for example that, that's relies not exactly on certain true. problems that's being not, difficult in fact, constructed that's not remotely true that's completely invalid complete problems such it's as a, the free SAT I'm, I'm, I'm putting an important point here that's not remotely true if p equals np uh, encryption is invalid it's that uh, many forms of encryption are invalid while others are not it's a matter of that, what uh, forms? that there's uh, been a professor at Princeton who has made uh, strives for proof of P, P equals NP, but the possibility is still that these time complexities are very large. It's just, it's possible to actually code these. So uh, if you are uh, on polynomial time complexity things, which yes, you are uh, able to, it's just often very difficult to code them. Would break most existing crypto systems, including public key cryptography or symmetric ciphers like AES or 3DES. Well, Christian, I believe that that makes this important to touch on. That's why we did. Now, um, still not related to encryption. It's the backbone of all computer science. Okay. Well, it's related to encryption. Because if P equals NP, then you even said certain types of encryption, like the encryption that we use all the time, public key cryptography, would become useless. So yes. it's good to note. That particular instance, yes. But, uh, Next. Okay. Well, we actually didn't talk about public key cryptography since you blew the order of this outline, Christian. So why don't we talk about what that is? Sure. Public key encryption um, 
is, for instance, RSA, which is used for things like SSH, HTTP. RSA stands for? S, uh, RSA stands for, I used to know this, come on. Rivest, Adi Shamir, and Len Edelman. The three guys that created the RSA algorithm in 1982, I think. Sounds right. And now they're owned by Dell, which is crazy. Hmm. But anyway, so that's one example. There's mul- there's plenty of public key uh, encryptions. But the idea of it is you have uh, a, on uh, both uh, the sender and the receiver, you have a private key and a public key. The public key is shared between the sender and the receiver, uh, but in such a way that uh, when you sign these things, only the... Um, so there are a few things. In... Um, in the case of SSH, where it's a lot, a lot simpler of, uh, of an example, this is where like uh, RSA can be shown in a very simple form, where you actually have to put into your authorized keys a particular public key. At which point, uh, when you do the SSH handshake, it'll uh, uh, look at the, the okay, I, uh, based on this pr- uh, private key signature, I have this public key in the authorized keys, I will allow this uh, connection. And then you can look at HTTPS, which also does public key encryption, but in such a way where per per uh, it usually caches the public uh, keys, but per HTTP request, it pulls the new public key in, and then you have a root CA on your computer that that then you, uh, well actually that's for other things really, but uh, that also factors into this. But the main thing is then you actually go out to uh, a series of uh, uh, um, root CAs, uh, public root CAs. Which now there's the CAA uh, DNS record to speed that up, so that way you can actually point to your certificate authority. At which point, then you uh, you get the uh, you verify against that, that that this public key matches, and then that uh, says that this is the in, um, intended identity of the host, and then your traffic is then is also encrypted over this RSA encryption uh, to the HTTPS uh, endpoint. Gotcha. And how does that differ from symmetric encryption? Um, symmetric encryption is more so a function that, uh, uh, basically, uh, you have a cipher that'll, uh, uh, encrypt something, send it over and, uh, and then the idea is really more so for privacy, I guess, uh, so that way you have to know the function anyway. It's not really for like a send and receive so much as it is like, uh, a good example I'd say is like uh, disk encryption. You have uh, a partition of your disk or a volume encrypted and you need to decrypt it. Uh, you say you provide a password or you have some uh, just uh, constant function that will always just be able to decrypt that uh, data. Gotcha. And do you still have public and private keys with symmetric key algorithms or no? You just have one? Mm, that that question confuses me. <laughs> okay. What What is your key in symmetric key algorithm? In symmetric key cryptography, rather. Your Your password could be one. Okay. So the only so you have one key, you don't have a public key and a private key. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, things uh, implementations of symmetric key cryptography: Two Fish Serpent AES, Blowfish Cast Five, uh, word that I can't pronounce: Kuznetsov RC Four Triple DES. Uh, let's talk about Triple DES for a minute because we're we're having this talk backwards, Christian. Triple DES came from single DES, which was the first uh, widely used encryption algorithm, or at least used by the government officially, through I think it was the Second World War. I could be wrong, but what happened was, by the end of the 20th century, the technology became possible to where cracking or brute forcing a DES encrypted 
plain text was technologically feasible. But rather than coming up with a new algorithm, they realized that they could just run it through DES three times, probably using three different keys, and then it was much more secure. I would assume the same kind of practice can be applied to any type of algorithm. Um, what do you think? Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, keying option. There, uh, there are three key, keying options in, in triple DES. Uh, one, all three keys are independent. Two, K1 and K2 are independent, and K3 equals K1, sometimes known as two TDEA, or two double-length keys. Uh, provides a shorter key length and a reasonable compromise between DES key op- keying option one with the same problem, which is still vulnerable to a meet-in-the-middle attack or a man-in-the-middle attack. But uh, let's see. King option three is that all three keys are identical. It's backwards compatible with regular DES, but since the two operations cancel each other out, but uh, the government no longer allows it being used because it makes sense that it's not that secure, since if you find one key, you know everything. Uh, key bundle is 24 bytes for option one, 16 for option two, or eight for option three. The key is only eight bytes. 64 bits? That's not... That big at all. That's why they don't use them anymore. Uh, one thing that I didn't include on the outline that I do want to talk about is a transposition cipher. It's not ex- it is encryption, but I'd say, honestly, it's more like obfuscation. What do you think, Christian? Uh, this is news to me. Transposition, uh, uh, transposition cipher works. A uh, great way to practice that is by playing Scrabble. Uh, it is a method of encryption by which the positions are... Uh, are uh, of which the positions held by plain text are shifted according to a regular system, normally linearly. You know, they use this on, like, oh, serial boxes to code anagram. the message. Yeah, an anagram. It is a va- valid form of cryptography, but it's not... I don't an, think that's uh, what an anagram is. An anagram is you take a set of letters and you move them around. Ah. Touche. Okay. Yeah, don't you remember Harry Potter? No. Tom Riddle, Voldemort, come on. Yeah. Oh. It's too long ago. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's of the uh, cryptographic ciphers to use. It is an easier one to do on paper. And as someone who has an encryption miner, I've had to do many of this by hand. Um, you had an encryption miner. I do. Specifically, uh, encryption. Uh, secure computing and networking. I took two courses on encryption. I did a senior project on obfuscation, and yeah. So when you're telling me that elliptic curve cryptography and transition ciphers are buzzword, you are full of... Anyway, what we didn't talk about was the history of encryption. And, and uh, in preparing this show, I think, uh, Tyler, you might agree with me that we wanted to give people... We wanted to get people's feet wet with the subject matter before delving into the history so they'll at least want to care about it when we tell them how it happened. Yeah, I like that strategy. Good. Well, uh, let's dive right in. In 700 BC, the Spartan military used Skytails to send sensitive uh, missives during times of battle. Both sender and recipient had a wooden rod of the exact same diameter and length. To encrypt a message, the sender tightly wound a piece of leather or parchment around the stick and wrote a message on it. The unwound leather was sent to the recipient, who could only read the message once it was lightly wound around his own skytail. Anyone else would see the disarranged letters with no meaning. I believe that's also a transposition cipher. 
Moving forward to 1467, 700 more years after the first one, uh, the Alberti cipher. Leon Battista Alberti invented and published the first polyalphabetic substitution cipher, changing the course of encryption forever. The Alberti cipher was comprised of two metal disks on the same slot, at the same axle, one inside the other. Also a transposition cipher. 1797, Jefferson Wheel. Invented by Thomas Jefferson while he was at George Washington, or while he was George Washington's Secretary of State, the wheel consisted of 26 cylindrical wooden pieces threaded onto an iron spindle. The letters of the alphabet were inscribed on the edge of each wheel in random order. Turning them uh, would spell out the coded message on... Oh, sorry. Turning them would scramble and unscramble the words. The recipient would spell out the coded message on his wheel and then look for one one line of the letters that made sense. The U.S. Army used its encryption device again between 1923 and 1942. That's, of course, right before 1943 and World War II, the Enigma machine, building on the work of Polish uh, crypt-, crypt analyst Bletchley Park, Britain's main decryption establishment during World War II, was set on decrypting the Enigma machine, a series of related electromechanical rotor cipher, cipher machines used by Nazis. Uh, the Bletchley Park team, which included the father of modern computing, Alan Turing, capitalized on the machine's one fundamental flaw. No letter, lo, no letter could be encrypted as itself. And also, German weather reports were delivered in plain text. Armed with this information and Turing's bomb machine, uh, which greatly reduced the time required to crack Enigma, pretty soon the Allied forces knew the Wehrmacht every move. 1961, the first computer password was invented, developed by MIT's CTSS, the comparable time-sharing system, which I think was a precursor to the Internet, when computer time was scarce, extremely expensive, and limited to research institutions. Uh, Moving on, 79, DES was invented. We talked about that. Uh, Using then-state-of-the-art 56-bit encryption, at the time it was so strong, not even supercomputers can crack it. However, by the late 90s, it was easily cracked. You could broke the key, you'd break any DES key in 56 hours. By ni- and that was in 1998. By 1999, they reduced that time to just over 22 hours. And I only assume that now you can reduce it in minutes. 1985, Video Cypher 2. Ah, that's what this is. Hey, hey, this is, what, this is what I've been talking about. This is the whole thing that I've been talking about. The analog encrypted video. This is what it was. HBO huh. Cinemax and Pay-Per-View began using a TV satellite scrambling system based on DES called Video Cipher 2, making late-night watching of wavy-lined R-rated movies the pastime of an entire generation. Almost millennials. Really Gen Xers. The tremendous black market emerged for, data, uh, for descramblers, and six years after TV scrambling technology's debut, it was estimated that only 10% of dish owners were actually paying for television cable. <laughs> Nin- ah! Sorry. Just hit my microphone. Uh, in 1995, the movie Hackers came out. I don't know what that has to do with the description. Uh, so we can skip it. 1997, AES, the Advanced Encryption Standard, has been was developed with 128-bit encryption. It takes 2 to the 55th power years to crack. A device that could check a billion AES keys per second said that, in theory, it would, acqui- re- would require 3 times 10 to the 51st years to exhaust every 256-bit ki- ah, bit in the key space. That's a lot. 1997 also saw the introduction of the CAPTCHA. 
We all know what that is, and we all hate it. Uh, in 2006, there was a rise of identity theft, and more ransomware stuff that's not encrypted. Great. So it looks like most of the encryption technology really came out of the late 90s. Would you say, Christian? Um, that, that we use today. a little broad, but yes. Well, I mean, uh, nothing has replaced AES. Uh, there, there's things that just not, like, in, like, I guess, production use and say... As in, no, you know how AES replaced DES? There's no replacement for AES. Well, there, there's stuff, but it's more so in the research realm. So it's not being used. So right now there's nothing. Not in production, but... Okay. What is one of those things? I wouldn't know the details. I just know that there are research papers out there. If you go to Google's white paper site, which is actually an awesome place to learn about really cool computer science stuff, uh, there are cryptography papers that are from very recent years. Okay. Well, it would be cool to have one of them. Um... There is one encryption algorithm that we haven't talked about yet, and it's called Honey. Something... Where is the... I think uh, ever since I moved the microphone, really. Uh, it's called Honey Encryption. And what it does is it always sends back what looks like good data. And so the attacker really doesn't know if it's good data or if it's just garbage data. Um, currently, hackers will often use software that decrypts encrypted data by guessing hundreds of thousands of potential keys. So anytime an incorrect key is tried, the hackers will, are left with an incomprehensible mess that is distinctly not data and the clear indicator that the key was wrong. Ari Jules, the previous chief scientist at computer security at RSA, and Timus Ristenpart of University of Wisconsin work together to develop a different type of encryption device with a twist. Anytime an incorrect password or encryption key is guessed, the system responds by delivering fake data to the intruder. The string resembles the actual data to the point that the attackers won't be able to tell if the data is real or not. So even if or when the hacker guesses the actual password, the real information will be completely lost amongst the mass of bogus data surrounding it. Sweet. Honeypot encryption. Or honey encryption. I, I like it. Do you have anything to say about that, Christian? I think it's a good idea. Yeah. This way, instead of saying bad, it's here's something. We're not saying it's good or bad. You make of it what you will. You'll have no idea what it is. Um, and I think I think that's all we've got for now. There's enough on encryption to talk for the, a whole year, but there are many more things that we want to talk about. Let's make this a two-parter, and we can continue the encryption discussion next week. We can talk about crypto wars, different types of encryption attacks, popular web services, and what encryption they use, in, uh, conferences about encryption, uh, encryption from the '90s. That type of stuff. Party on. Yes. Okay. Here's something about encryption. Or not, actually. Because it's about voting. And electronic voting. And since a year ago, we had that disastrous election that people still are having anxiety attacks over. Um, there was something before the election about it getting rigged or about it being hacked... And there was somebody, and we talked about this person, who, uh, went, who testified to court talking about how easy it was to hack one of these voting machines. Um, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. And how easy was it? Very easy. Like, like you can hack them 
with uh, you can a- hack them trivially without and and change data, change votes, change whole results without a paper trail. And because so many of these municipalities or con- cities or states uh, don't require paper trails, like the city of Philadelphia, then once the electronic data is compromised, the whole system's kaput. So people came to this realization in the state of Georgia. And uh, I don't know why it looks like people wanted to investigate the contents of the, elect- elect- uh, the electoral server to see if it had been hacked. And the people in charge of the server decided to wipe it. That only means one thing. Sounds like they're guilty of something. <laughs> guilty. A, com- a computer server, Christian, Christian, I'm sorry. A computer server, server cru- I need to see a speech pathologist. I can't talk. Computer server, cru- crucial to a lawsuit against Georgia election officials, was quietly wiped clean by its custodians just after the suit was filed. The server's data was destroyed on July 7th by technicians at the Center of Election Systems at Kennesaw State University, which runs the state election system. The data swipe... A data wipe was revealed in an email sent last week from an assistant state attorney general to plaintiffs in the case that was later obtained by the Associated Press. More emails obtained in a public records request confirmed the wipe. The server in question, which served as a statewide staging location for key election-related data, made national headlines in June after a security expert disclosed a gaping security hole that wasn't fixed six months after he reported it to the election authorities. Wow. The server data could have revealed whether Georgia's most recent elections were compromised by Russia. The plaintiffs contend that the results of both last November's election and the special June 20th runoff, won by Kemp's predecessor, Karen Handel, cannot be trusted. Can they not be trusted because they didn't get the outcome they wanted? Much like when people protest what happens in the EU, they make you revote until they get the outcome that they want. Possible Russian interference in U.S. politics, including attempts to penetrate voting systems, has been an acute national preoccupation since the election last year. Wow. Yep. Oh, and the uh, Department of Homeland Security says 21 states had election systems scanned or penetrated by Russia-backed hackers last year, though there is no evidence they altered the outcome of votes. I have to stress that. Wow. You can cry all day about Russia. Everybody who has any sense of authority, which aren't us, say that they did not change the outcome of the election. So stop. And scanned or penetrated, Russian bots run port scanners all the time. It's not just from Russia. It's everywhere. We do it. What do you think the NSA does? They have a college program in Cyber Command. What do you think you do at Cyber Command at the NSA? Or the Air Force, rather. It's an Air Force program. What do you do? You learn how to attack other systems in other countries. I mean, that's one point. On the other hand, you could look at it as like they, they, were, they were hanging out outside the jewelry store looking at it. They got inside some of the jewelry stores, but we can't prove they stole anything. Yeah, because... Are you comparing the Russians to homeless guys? No, I'm comparing them to jewelry store robbers. <laughs> Like, they got in, they, they were definitely there, we say, they were casing the joint, but we can't prove they stole anything. Right. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that, I, I, I don't know, it's the, the, it, it looks like people are trying to help create a secure electronic voting system, the government doesn't want to do it, and then they also very much want to accuse other state actors well, of infiltrating an open system. It's basically an open system. Well, if you can change it without a paper trail, then obviously there's not going to be evidence that they changed anything. Right. 
And whose fault is that? That's not even Russia's fault. Yeah, it's, it's our fault. Who's developing a machine that you can't see a paper trail of? It's an election machine. We China. Need this. <laughs> China is. <laughs> no, we're developing it. They're making it. Oh, right, right, right. Well, right. We're paying Indian um, people to develop it, and then China produces it and sends it to us. Yes. <laughs> now, right, exactly. Now, the, the thing circle. is, is that uh, there was a former bum, presidential bum, bum, candidate. Bum, 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 bum. Ah, uh, there was a former presidential candidate, not from this past election, but from 2008. You saw him on handwritten postcards that were taped to lampposts in cities. Ron Paul. And he actually, I'm not a huge fan of his, but he actually had asked the same question that we asked about Russian hacking. How can Russia have stolen our election when all it looks like they did was take out Facebook ads against Hillary? Hmm. You know who else did that? Fox News. Okay, okay, so they set up a couple of Twitter accounts. Holy crap. They set up the Tennessee Republicans one that actually was funny because there's no... If you think that we... You know, it, it, sorry. If somebody thinks that as Americans we can be so easily buffaloed into changing our mind because we read a tweet from something that has something that we like in it. You know, actually, uh, that might be true. Well, two, <laughs> two, two points, Eric. Um, one, you know, it's not just you're changing your mind. It's more that you are getting people so hot that they actually get off their butt and go into the voter booth. Whereas right, but they here's might the thing, have. Tyler. There was so much American propaganda that was being developed and, and, and imposed on ourselves during the election last year that it's ridiculous to suggest that Russia did anything worse than any Republican news outlet. That's fine. But people were, call, were saying you were is, morally you... wrong if you didn't vote the way that they voted. I, most of the pressure that I got voting last year were from friends and from people on Facebook, not Russia. That's fine. But the, I guess the other question is, do you, do you think it's okay for foreign entities to advertise for elections here? Was it okay when Obama went on French television telling people to uh, vote for Macron? I didn't know he, he did. did that. He went on French television and, and gave an attaboy, an endorsement. Uh, for well, Macron. actually, politicians always give endorsements of other politicians. Right. So if one politician but, says, but this girl is evil, this money. person that's is, is really bad, advertising it's the same for other countries. thing. It's, this, it's the same thing. It's so, just because we like France and we don't like Russia, but we could. So if, like, we well, were this a super is a rich nation. conversation. Yeah. Well, but it's because it's we're talking to... What, well, if, it's, what if we were a super rich nation and found a super poor nation and we really had bad... Or we really wanted to go get one of their people elected, so we spent... More like than what we did with we Haiti and five like times on. the GDP of that country advertising one politician. So all you saw anywhere was one politician's advertisements. Look up Haiti, Wyclef Jean, and Clinton Foundation. I'm not kidding. I believe it. We did that. We did that. When, you know, when, when uh, uh, Cheeto so Jesus went okay? on network news and said, other, you know, do you, are, you, are you not aware of what we do in terms of other countries? Yeah. You know, we don't expect some kind of retribution given how many how many fingers we put our pies in, how many bears we're poking. It makes sense. Well, so do it's you think not, what we did is okay? Um, no, it's not. Well, that's what Russia's doing to us. That's why I'm, I know. I'm saying but what it's I'm saying okay. is, you're yeah, advertising I know, I get for that. elections from other but countries. The, the thing is, is that unless there were real evidence that Russia hacked into a voting machine, unless there were real evidence that they actually did change the election. Remember, the outcome of the election is very specific. It's not just, it wasn't just a wash for one person or the other. It was a very specific outcome that would be very hard to engineer. Especially given the states that went to the other guy. That didn't go to her, you know? Like, those states, I don't think they have electronic voting in, in Wisconsin. 
We haven't done that plot, so that's a whole other or episode. Iowa. That's an after dark like da- data analysis okay. where you write fine. some code and plot out everything. That's Use fine. all the APIs. Okay, well. And then Christian here- will just tell us we're both dumb. <laughs> yes. Well, here are the Man, Russian ads that deceived users on Facebook and Instagram, or as people in Congress are calling it, the act of war caused by Russia. I mean, the pe- like the Congress people that have no idea about technology and think this is equivalent to Ro- Russia dropping bombs on us, it, they, like that should be like a trap door opens under them. They go through a series of tubes out back to Florida where they came from. Because who's been saying this? What? I have not heard anybody say this. Saying what? This is like Russia dropping bombs on us. Uh, Maxine Waters, look her up. Um, Diane Feinstein said uh, at the representatives of uh, Google, Twitter, and Facebook that were uh, on Capitol Hill earlier this week. What we're talking about is a cataclysmic change. What we're talking about is a beginning of cyber warfare. Beginning of cyber warfare. We've been doing this for twenty years. What we're talking about. This is what I'm talking about. It's a disconnection because someone in Congress is saying, or the Senate, Diane Feinstein. She's a prominent Democrat. She's saying the beginning of cyber warfare in 2017. Cyber warfare probably started. War Games was before any of us were born. There's a 35 year old movie telling us about beginnings of cyber warfare. You all out of your mind. Cyber warfare was old when meat spin was popular. Right? And that's the worst <laughs> kind of cyber warfare. Cyber warfare is about as old as what's the beef? Where's the beef? Sorry. I wasn't alive in the early 80s. <laughs> Where's the beef? Uh, anyway. Uh, we're t- what we're talking Terminator about Terminator major- was in the 80s. That's cyber warfare. Yeah, exactly. Beginnings of cyber warfare. Right. By Russia <laughs> taking out Facebook ads. I swear to God. What we're talking about is a major foreign power with sophistication and ability to involve themselves in a presidential election and sow conflict and discontent all over this country. Yeah, like what we do to the rest of the world. We are not going to go away, gentlemen, and this is a very big deal. And are they going to use this? Are they going to say you have to prevent Russia from hacking our stuff by outlawing encryption? Like... The same Congress people will talk to these Silicon Valley companies and tell them about the evils of encryption and how, oh, it's too secure and we can't, law enforcement can't get into your stuff when they need to. And at the same time, they're talking about, well, Russia, cyber espionage got hacked. It's the same thing. We want an encryption system that works for us, but not for somebody else. But the encryption, much like liquor in Trailer Park Boys, works for everybody or nobody. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Jim Leahy. Yeah, John Dunsworth. It's really sad that he died, yeah. that he passed away. Um, anyway, um, let's see. Google released the results oh. of, inve- of its investigation into the security and disinfo into the U.S. 2016 election, and the results were similarly underwhelming. On YouTube, it identified 18 suspicious channels that, quote, appeared to be political, but that, quote, also posted non-political videos like personal travelogues. Well, that's, you know, what it would look like, I guess, if a foreign actor wanted to create a fake YouTube channel. Holy crap, they're advertising on YouTube. But according to Google, these videos generally had low views, and these channels were not targeted to the U.S. Hmm. So, well, so this just not in, even 18. Na- this just in, the National Grid website is down. Oh, does your gas still work? Yes, the, it, it, the website where you pay bills is down. It's usually down. I mail them a check. I'm serious. I'm serious. Uh, I, have been, I have not been able to pay my gas bill on their website for, for so long and just started mailing them checks. 
Anyway. That, that, that is five layers of sad. I know. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. So the election was manipulated by 18 YouTube channels of people travel videos, presumably in Russia, that didn't target the U.S., that no one watched. And this is what Senator Feinstein says, major foreign power with sophistication and ability. Congress ha- also haven't de- uh, defined what the phrase Russia links or collusion means. So, were you linked to Russia? Well, I had Russian dressing on my BLT. Oh, that's it! Like, what does this mean? Nobody knows. It means you're getting too political this episode. Well, here are the Russian ads. This is Amen. the one-year anniversary of the election, and we covered the Russia hacking. on the. We did two episodes on Russia hacking, Russian hacking, uh, back in our Radio Free Brooklyn days. And you can view them on our iTunes feed at pullrequest.net slash iTunes. But here are the Russian ads that deceived users on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, number one, Heart of Texas shared their event. Uh, fellow Texans, it's time to say a strong no to establishment robbers. It is unacceptable for us to see them ruin all we've been building for decades, for centuries. This establishment thinks they can treat us like stupid sheep, but they are wrong. We won't put up with this anymore. And then it has a graphic that says, get ready to secede. A Facebook event for November 5th, 2016. <laughs> uh, Heart of Te- I guess Heart of Texas is probably a... Was that the one? The, the Russia-controlled uh, Facebook account? Tyler? What? No. No. Border Patrol agents in South Texas arrested an illegal alien from Honduras that had previously been deported and convicted of rape second degree. There. We said rape in this episode. Thanks to Obama's and Hillary's policy, illegals now come here because they, want to, for am, they, they wait for amnesty promised. No. Uh, born liberal. If you ask me about the Clinton Foundation, do I have a problem? Oh. Oh, this is a Bernie. Quote, if, if you ask me about the Clinton Foundation, do I have a problem when a sitting secretary of state and a foundation run by her husband collects as many millions of dollars from foreign governments, many governments which are dictatorships? Yeah, I do. Sanders said in an interview with Jake Tapper on CNN. So Bernie has the point. I appreciate the way that he maintains his independent opinion. What, was, what is this? Trying to appeal to liberals. Bernie Sanders, the Clinton Foundation is a, quote, problem, it says, as, as a meme. Army of Jesus. Satan, I will win if I, if I win, Clinton wins. Jesus, not if I can help it. Press like to help Jesus win. That's, wow. Okay, come on. That's actually, I, that's pretty funny. There's just so much irony with, like, all the things Trump was saying on the campaign and, like, that just... I know. Listen, it is a great, it's a great campaign doing. that they ran. But to think that this actually influenced the election is bogus. Here's one. BM, not Bell Movement, shared their event. Uh, not my president event... On November 12th in Union Square. That, stop Trump, stop racism, join the protest, Union Square, created by Russia. Williams Williams and Calvin. Sorry? 33,000 people interested. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, they know, they they have their fingers on the pulse of American culture right now, and they're really, all the sides, all the sides. Uh, LGBT United shared their event. Westboro Baptist Church is planning to stand against intolerance in education system near LG on May 25th last year. Um, All right, that's enough. I'm getting bored of these. United Muslims of America. Yeah, Eric, Black this Matters, is way too political and unrelated to anything. Can we uh, move on? Okay, fine. Here's a story that you'll both definitely like. Christian, especially you, because $60,000 of dildos, butt plugs, or dildos and butt plugs, were stolen in a massive heist. Why, why, My why God, did they that explains why there was a semi-truck parked outside of your apartment last week, Christian. A- Eric, did they take anything else from your house? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> 
Over $60,000 He said, oh, dildo. come on, after you were doing the same exact thing to me. I, hope I you know, realize. it's not fair. We're supposed to dogpile on you, Christian. You don't turn it oh, around. Oh, no, Eric got made fun of. Oh, no. You don't turn it around. Uh, anyway, over $60,000 worth of dildos, butt plugs, and vibrators were found in Christian's stoop last week. Uh, no, they were stolen from an erotica convention last week in what's being described the biggest sex toy heist in history. A representative from Fun Toys London... <laughs> That means two things. I'm sorry. Fun Toys London explained in a Facebook post that the company's team were wrapping up an exhibition at the erotic trade fair, Venus Berlin, when they had all their merchandise stolen. The rep explained that when they had went to load the display into the truck at the end of the day, they saw all their products had been swiped and only the brochures, bags, and two boxes with testers were left. And there's a video. Not click on the video. You guys can click on the video. I'm not going to do it. Okay, challenge accepted. No. <laughs> No. Well, clearly Eric's been watching this like over and over again. Then <laughs> he's got no. it on repeat. Yeah, mm. exactly. All right. Well, I think that's all the encryption stuff we have time for today. So, uh, Christian, do you approve of this week's pull request? Looks good to me. Tyler, how about you? I do. And our studio audience, how are you guys doing? Great. Well, then let's all hit merge, and we'll see you next week right here on Polarquats. This has been a Numodium production. The views and opinions expressed on Polarquats do not necessarily reflect those of Numodium LLC or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Wolfpack. Visit them at V-U-L-F-P-E-C-K dot com.